Good morning, Redemption Tucson. Happy New Year to you on this first Sunday of 2019. My name's Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. Typically, I'm leading the music, the liturgy, but this morning I got the privilege of preaching, which is always a joy. We're in this two-week series called Back to the Basics, and I love this as we launch into 2019, jumping back to the basics, the foundations of our faith. And, And in this series... What I love about it is I think for so many of us, I think for many of us in the room, the reason we feel stuck in our faith, the reason we feel frustrated with our growth is not due to a deficit of new information, but it's due to us forgetting or not living out what we already know. See, like a NBA player still practicing free throws or a concert pianist still practicing scales, We all need to go back to the basics. Everyone, no matter how advanced we may get, all need to go back to the basics. Last week, we talked about the Bible. This week, we're talking about prayer, these two basics of the faith. And my goal this morning, and and because this is the goal that I'm going to say, it shapes a lot of what we're going to talk about with this huge subject. My goal this morning when we talk about prayer is that we would be inspired and compelled to pray more, that we would have a greater vision for prayer, and that we would know God whom we pray to in a more rich way. So out of the gate, one, we'll be looking at a few scriptures. So if you need a Bible, uh, please raise your hand. We want to get one to you. Volunteers will be coming down the aisle. Um, If you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. Please take it, study it, read it, love it dive into it. Um, If you do own a Bible, but you forgot it, just leave it on the seat and a volunteer will pick it up. If you need a Bible in Spanish also, we'll get one of those for you. Just let us know. We have those. Uh, And then two, I confess candidly that this is an area that needs strengthening and growth in my own walk with the Lord. I need this sermon. As I prep for this sermon, The Lord really spoke to me and really just encouraged me and really ministered to me. I need this sermon and I need help preaching this sermon. So let's begin our time in prayer. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can gather here today. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that we can commune with you. Thank you for the gift of prayer. Thank you that you speak to us in your word. Thank you that we can go back to the basics. Lord, as we launch into 2019, I pray that we would walk deeper with you, walk more faithfully with you, that we might experience the good life. God, help us to pray. Help us to be a praying church, a praying people, praying disciples, live praying lives. And Lord, be with me as I preach this sermon. You know I need it. and You know I need help preaching it this morning. In your name I pray, amen. For those of you taking notes, Here's where we're going. Three points, keeping it simple. One, what is prayer? Two, why pray and why we don't pray? And three, how to pray. So one, what is prayer? Let me just start by saying again, we will merely be scratching the surface today on this subject. I cannot in one sermon cover the entirety of what could be covered with prayer. Uh, This topic is wide. It is deep. Most of what what I'm saying could be its own sermon in and of itself. Uh, So all that being said, we're just going to dive right in. Tim Keller defines prayer in the fullest sense as, quote, continuing a conversation that God has started through his word and his grace. Say that again. Prayer in the fullest sense is continuing a conversation that God has started through his word and his grace. Uh, 
The relationship between these basics, prayer and the word, it's like breathing, breathing, inhaling and exhaling. We take in God's word spoken to us through the Bible and we respond, we exhale in prayer. As necessary as breathing is to our very lives, so is prayer and scripture. This is the breath of our lives. This is the divine conversation. Prayer is the way you walk by faith with God who is revealed in the scriptures. See, the Bible gives us the language of the relationship and prayer is the vehicle for the relationship, for the ongoing growth of the relationship. Prayer is like a windshield, as one author says. You look through it, not at it, to see ahead. Um, If you're 15, about to get 16, about to get your driver's license, this one's for free. Um, Look through the windshield, not at the windshield, okay? Uh, Hopefully you know that, maybe not. Um, If not, again, that one's for free. Also, maybe that explains why Tucson has such mediocre drivers. (laughs) Come on now. When, When we look at prayer rather than through prayer to God, we will certainly be off course. Prayer is like a good conversation at a family meal or or a date. You, you are not analyzing the content. You're not taking notes on where did the content where did the content of the conversation go? If you're doing that, please stop it. <laughs> stop it, right? Like that that might explain why maybe the dates or the conversations you're going on maybe aren't going the way you want them to go. Stop analyzing the conversation. The goal of communication is deeper relationship. The foundational aim of any communication is to get deeper relationship with the person you're communicating with. So therefore, prayer has as its foundational aim to get deeper relationship with God. The ultimate aim of prayer is to get God, to know God, to love God. Prayer is an invitation to relationship with the living God. See, prayer is not an item on a a list of a checklist of things we ought to do as Christians. It is a gift of God. It is a gift because this might seem obvious or it might be, for me, I hadn't thought of this before. But it really struck me when the idea was brought before me. It is a gift from God, prayer is, because prayer does not have to exist. There doesn't have to be a channel of communication between us as sinful people and a holy God. There could be no word to hear God speak, and there could be no way to speak to God. But the fact that there is tells us something profound about the nature of God, that he is a relationship, that he is a God of relationship and love. God is transcendent and he is near. He is sovereign. He is Lord of all and he is intimate. Amen. This is our God. This is the God whom we pray to. And that's what you have access to God, church. Let us not take that for granted. Adoption means access. Adoption means access. Let's look at our first text, Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. If you want to turn there, you can. Everything's going to be on the screen as well. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, Jesus, born of woman, Mary, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We can pray to God, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir 
through God. This text says that our adoption means access to God. The Spirit is in us. It doesn't get any more accessible or proximity than that. The Spirit is in us, this text says. Jesus redeems us. The Father adopts us. And because of Jesus' finished work on the cross, we can call upon God, not as a slave, but as a son or a daughter in Christ. You have access to God through prayer. Prayer is the medium of our access. We can cry out to our Father for our needs, our desires, our fears, our thanks, our praise for relationship. This this reality, this good news tells us how high God, Father, Son, and Spirit views prayer and relationship with His children. God is not content to have merely a, a legal, transactional relationship with His kids. God is not content to merely send child support from heaven. Come on. God is not content with that. He is after rich relationship with his children. Prayer tells us that. He's after rich relationship. And it's all possible because of Jesus. It is all possible because of Jesus. What is prayer? Prayer ultimately treats God as God, which is always right. Because we are rightly running to him for our needs, our security, our hope, and our life. Prayer reorients us toward God. Prayer moves us in a Godward direction. Prayer also reorients us in God as we run to him, as we're united with him, as we are one with him. Prayer is a gift from God, ultimately to have relationship with God. Tim Keller says prayer is a dance of awe and intimacy, of struggle and reality, of duty moving toward delight. So what is prayer? And two, our second point, why pray and and why we don't pray? Here's the thing. I've never met a faithful Christian who loves Jesus, who loves his word, who is enthralled by Jesus and says, you want to talk about a big waste of time? Prayer. Like, that just doesn't exist. Like, that, that, that ox, that's an oxymoron. You can't say, I love Jesus. You know what I don't care about relationship with Jesus? Like, I love my wife, but you know what? I hate dates with my wife. Like, that's just ridiculous. I love dates with my wife. So uh, with that, don't worry, Kelsey. Um, with that, uh, I've never also met a Christian who's mature in his faith or her faith who thought, well, prayer was a good step on my journey. Mastered that. Thank you. What's next? Like, that also doesn't exist. There's an idea of, of, I think all of us in the room, every mature Christian I've ever met is in the same boat. I think many of us here are in the same boat. Either A, we want to pray, or maybe <laughs> we want to want to pray, <laughs> right? Like, I think that's where a lot of us are at in the morning, this morning. And so what I'm going to try to do with these few things is give us some reasons why to pray, motivate us to pray, inspire us to behold and view prayer as something that is worthwhile, <laughs> Something worth longing and striving and struggling towards and for. So first, why pray? Well, one, and I'm not going to shy away from this, because we're commanded to. Because we're commanded to. First Thessalonians says, there's going to be a couple scriptures here, is, is pray without ceasing. Matthew 6, 9, Jesus says, when you pray, not if you pray. And Luke 18, 1, Jesus says, we ought to pray and not lose heart. We have to always pray and not lose heart. 
In addition to that, Jesus constantly prayed. And we're to follow his example. Luke 5, 16, again on the screen says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely or desolate places, places he could get alone and prayed. And so basic logic, I may have went to Chico State, I may not be the brightest crayon in the box, but basic logic says, if Jesus Christ, God incarnate, (laughs) the one by whom and for whom all things were created, if he got space to pray and draw strength from the Father and connect with the Father, how much more must we? Like, I mean, come on. Basically, if Jesus is doing this, how much more must we? How much more are we dependent on this? Also, church, we, we are commanded to pray, but we must remember that the commandments are for our blessing. They're for our joy. They're for our good. They're for the good life. We are commanded to pray, which is a commandment to experience God, which is a commandment to the good life. God is commanding us Blessing, I command you to blessing. I command you to joy. I command you to life. This is not, it's probably good for us. Probably should do it. It is good. That's why the psalmist and the whole Old Testament can say that God's commandments are sweeter than honey. That they're beautiful and they're good and they're right and they're true. It's because the commandments are a blessing, ultimately. This commandment is no different. To build on this, why pray? To experience, second, relationship with God. Everything we've been talking about. If we are not praying, we will not be growing nearer to God. It's like breathing again. If all you are doing is inhaling, you will not live. Both are necessary. Paul Miller says, Because prayer is about relationship with God, we don't pray because we are much more comfortable with God at a distance. Let's say that again. Prayer is about relationship with God, so we don't pray because we are much more comfortable with God at a distance. The response to sin is always shame. The response, the flinch of sin is always to hide from God and flee from God and run from him. Adam and Eve, after they sin, the first sin in the Garden of Eden, they turn and they run and they flee from God. They hide themselves. And we do the same today. We think after we sin, we need to get some distance between us and that sin before we can run to God. We need to get some distance from God uh, after we sin, before we can run to him again. We need to get cleaned up first, and then we can come to God. And I want to say, for the Christian, this is a total and utter lie. The good news says, when you sin, Christian maturity says, when you sin, you run to God, not away from God, because the good news says that whatever you have done, whatever you have done, one, God God already knows it. He's already paid for it by his blood, He welcomes you back as his child. He wants to hear from you. And he wants to change you so that you can experience freedom from the slavery and shackles of idolatry and sin. We run to God, not away from him. How we run to God is prayer. Is prayer. And why pray? Third, I'm I'm alluding to it already, because there is freedom that comes only when we pray, especially when we pray like a child. 
Jesus calls us to come like a child to him, to have faith like a child. I want to tell you, as a grown man, that's uncomfortable. I'm not trying to be funny. Like, that's uncomfortable for me to say, let's go to Jesus as a child. That's uncomfortable for me. But when we live and pray in a posture of need and honesty and dependence, As children of God, it's in that place that we experience a freedom from the Father. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, The way of the kingdom, it's been revealed not to the wise, but to little children. And then he says his famous line, Come to me all who labor and are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When you come as a child, Jesus says, I will give you rest. Paul Miller, who wrote a book, A Praying Life, which is... For me, the most inspiring book on prayer I've read, A Praying Life by Paul Miller. We've got a quote from him that is, I think, especially helpful when we talk about freedom. The criteria for coming to Jesus is weariness. Come overwhelmed with life. Come with your wandering mind. Come messy. What does it feel like to be weary? You have trouble concentrating. The problems of the day are like claws on your brain. You feel pummeled by life. What does heavy laden feel like? Same thing. You have so many problems, you don't even know where to start. You can't do life on your own anymore. Jesus wants you to come to him that way. Your weariness drives you to him. Don't try to get the prayers right. Just tell God where you are and what's on your mind. That's what children do. Come on, parents in the room. They're not trying to get the the ask right. They're just asking. They're trying to get the articulation just right, you know, impress you with their proper asking. They just ask for stuff. Even stuff that's like, you know, like, what? Why? Like, they just ask. They're so bold and free. In order to pray like a child, you might need to unlearn the non-personal, non-real praying that you've been taught. The kingdom comes when Jesus becomes king of your life, but it has to be your real life. There's a difference between praying and saying prayers. I'm quite good at saying prayers. I'm disciplined. I can say prayers. I'm very weak in actually praying like a child dependent on my father. I have a feeling there's many of us in the room that say prayers, but we're not praying to our father. This is freedom. What Paul Miller spells out, I believe, is absolutely freedom. Why pray? Because there's freedom in praying like a child. But but ultimately, we don't pray like this. I don't pray like this because we don't feel dependent, we don't feel desperate, and we don't feel in need, which, look at me, is a catastrophic delusion. It's not just that dependency on God being in need of God is like, that's, that's the right Christian thing we should probably do. It's not just because that's, that's probably good for us. It's because it is reality for every one of us. The question is not if it is true. The question is, are we living out of reality or a delusion? We are needy. We are dependent. We are desperate for the Lord. Scripture affirms this when when it says, when I am weak, I am strong. When we know we are weak, we are driven to rely on God alone, who is strength itself. So we then are strong. I heard a pastor, Matt Chandler, say once, someone told him kind of mockingly, Christianity is just a crutch for the weak. 
And he said, yes, because my legs are broken. Like how foolish it would be to try with broken legs to just walk around. Like I need a crutch. It's not weakness. It's not foolish. It's not something to scoff at that we would need. We need God. That is where our strength is found. Desperation and dependency is the heartbeat and foundation of prayer, which puts us on the path to freedom and it puts us on the path to strength. Amen? Why pray? One, because we're commanded to. Two, and the commandments are for our blessing. Two, because it's where we experience Relationship with God, which is the good life. Three, because there's freedom in praying like a child. And four, why pray? Because prayer changes things and it changes us. We see all throughout Scripture, God changing things because people prayed. Prayer brings us closer to God. And proximity with the living God will always change us. We could do an entire service today of people coming up and sharing about how through prayer, through prayers of God's people... God used those to change circumstances and change lives. We could do that. Scriptures are also littered through it. We, we could have done a service like that. But yet, we swim in such cynical waters. Even when we pray and that thing happens, praise God. Our hearts are softened. Things happen. Like, we still think things like, well, it would have happened anyways. Or oh, what a coincidence. Kind of a silly example of this is uh, Dave and I, we were driving up to Phoenix um, for a pastor's meeting up in Phoenix, and uh, this was in the fall. And uh, as we're about ready to get on the freeway, his check engine light comes on in his car. And I'm going to say it was him because, he, you know, he's godly. He's, I think he said, like, How, Stephen, could you pray for that? Could you pray about this? And uh, I said, sure. So as I'm praying, what happened was is, is the check engine light turned off. In that. And everything in me, my first flinch was, huh, what a coincidence. That's funny. That's my first flinch. It's like, huh, that's funny. Not God cares about his children. He cares about our drive to Phoenix. If all of life is all for Jesus, then so is our vehicles and our, our commuting. That God cares about us, that he cares about his relationship with us. That he cares about these minute and, and mundane details of our life. And that me as his, that I have access to God as his kid. And that I have the ear of the father. That wasn't my first flinch. My first flinch was, huh, funny. And I, I want to tell us that if we have eyes to see, we can see God move. I've been praying on a prayer card for, for my own heart that it would be softer over the last year. Praying through the fruit of the Spirit, praying specifically for kindness and gentleness to grow in my heart, for those fruits to blossom. And it'd be tempting for me to say, well, uh, those fruits have really grown because, you know, uh, we had a baby and God, you know, and that, that stuff changes you. Not, no, God used my child. He used the prayers to change my heart. Again, we swim in such cynical waters. Why pray? Because prayer changes things and it changes us. Uh, before we get how to pray, uh, two more reasons we don't pray. If you're younger in the room, you likely struggle with the idol of authenticity. The idol of authenticity. Authenticity is a good thing. It's a good thing. It says, I don't want to just fake it till I make it. I don't want to just put on a face when I come to church. I don't just want to pretend. I don't, I don't want to do that. I, I, am com like, I don't want to do something unless I authentically and really with integrity believe it and want to walk forward in it. That's a good thing. 
That's a good thing. But that good thing becomes an idol when all of life is oriented around that authenticity rather than Christ. So we can't obey Christ's command to come and worship or to give or to, or, to, or to worship or to read his word because I don't really feel authentically like it. Well, now we're bowing down to the idol of authenticity more than bowing down to Christ. See, the idol of authenticity says, and it's kind of tongue-in-cheek here, the idol of authenticity says, I, I don't pray unless I really feel like it. And I just want to say, like, at some level, we got to be honest with ourselves and say, we don't do that for a lot of things in life. <laughs> I only do it if I feel like, like, good luck paying your rent check as long as you feel authentically like you want to. Like, good luck keeping our jobs, right? If it's like, I just show up when I authentically feel like laboring. Like, I just said, like, at some level, we don't take this to all things. We just apply it to maybe the things that we don't really feel passionately maybe about. And I don't, I don't say that, you know, to get a dick. I struggle with that. And I say, like, that mindset is folly, and, and lastly, I don't think we pray. We don't pray because we're distracted. Uh, Paul Miller says, I, I find this quote really helpful. The most common frustration is the activity of praying itself. We last for about 15 seconds, and out of nowhere, the day's to-do list pops up and our minds are on a tangent. Come on. Am I alone? Is Paul Miller alone? We catch ourselves, and by sheer force of will, we go back to praying. This time's going to be different. But before we know it, it's happened again. Instead of praying, we're doing a confused mix of wandering and worrying. And he says, American culture is probably the hardest place in the world to learn to pray. We're so busy. We're so used to being entertained. We're so exhausted by the pace of life. If we try to be quiet, we are assaulted by what C.S. Lewis called the kingdom of noise. And he wrote this before smartphones, the kingdom of noise, before screens were in every room of our home. The kingdom of noise has grown. What a, I think what a perfect picture for our world, a kingdom of noise. And because of this reality, prayer will be difficult. Expect it. Prayer will be difficult. No Christian, not any one of us in this room, will outgrow the need to struggle and persevere in prayer. Anything worthwhile is difficult. I wish losing weight was as easy as gaining weight. I really wish that. Anything worthwhile is difficult. How much more is prayer? How much more is saturating our lives in the scriptures? It will be difficult because it is worthwhile. Prayer is a means of experiencing God's grace and love, and it is a struggle, a discipline to be worked out with great effort. We, we don't pit those things against each other. Don't be discouraged if you go to pray and it's difficult. It doesn't mean you're necessarily doing something wrong. We all will struggle with, pray, with prayer. And because of this last point, we must learn how to pray. We must learn how to pray. Jesus' disciples ask him how to pray, and what follows is the most famous prayer ever said, which is the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. So let's look at what was read earlier, Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So I want to pull out some lessons from the Lord's Prayer that teach us how to pray. Notice that the Lord's Prayer starts with an identity statement. Our Father. Our Father. Jesus didn't say pray to my Father. He says pray to our Father. That statement, those two words are so full of identity. We have a Father. You are a child and we are a family. Jesus doesn't say elsewhere in the Gospels, it's like your brothers and sisters now. It's almost as if you're a family now. Jesus says, no, you are brothers and sisters. We are brothers and sisters. That is identity shaping. Notice the emphasis on confession of sin and surrender to God. Both of these lead to our dependence and our healing. This prayer puts us in such a right posture of God dependence. Notice the path of vertical forgiveness and reconciliation with God overflowing and outpouring into horizontal forgiveness and reconciliation with our neighbor. Forgive us our debts, God, as we also have forgiven our debtors, our neighbor. Notice the arc of praising God leading to petition for others. See, when we remember who God is, God, proximity with the living God will change us and he will change our heart and we will start to pray for the needs of others. We will start to count others' interests higher than our own. We will look to the interest of others. We will pray for others. We will be drawn to others' needs. And also notice how grounded this prayer is in reality. Praying for our daily bread. Praying for our daily needs. Praying for the needs of our neighbors. Praying for others reflects God's heart of love because God is love. And praying for others and being drawn to others shows the work of the gospel in our own heart taking root. Notice the emphasis on praying for the kingdom and against evil. And I want to tell you, pray for justice. Pray for peace. Pray for love. Pray for compassion. Pray against evil. Pray against injustice. Pray against sinful systems and strongholds in our world and on our block. Jesus also tells us elsewhere in the Gospels to pray for laborers to be sent into the harvest. So pray for churches. Pray for missionaries. Pray for church plants. Pray for the Gospel to go into your neighborhood, to go into your school, to go into your living room, to go into your positions of power and your spheres, to go to the ends of the earth. If prayer changes things, then we have a moral obligation to pray into this stuff missionally. If prayer changes things, then we have a moral obligation to pray into these things. And I'm going to say, like, God often changes things due to prayer, not because our prayers are great, but because we pray to a great God who is able. Amen? See, and I'm going to confess to you the, the relationship between God's sovereignty and his will and our responsibility in prayer changing things is a mystery. I'm not even going to attempt to, to navigate those waters right now. Those true, two truths that might seem paradoxical are true. His ways are above our ways and we are to come to our Father as a child in faith. 
It, it is a mystery. But also notice the hope here. This part is not a mystery. There, just check this out. God is the one who delivers us from evil. He is stronger. The scriptures say he who is in us is greater than he who is, who is in the world. And that's good news. The good news says our God wins. Jesus rose from the dead and he's seated on a throne and he's coming again. And the kingdom of God will crush the enemy. The gates of hell will not prevail. Restoration is coming. He will deliver us from evil because God is a good father who protects his kids. Jesus meant it when he said, pray like this. It's not just some thing to recite like a mantra before football games. There, there is a richness and a depth to the Lord's Prayer. Literally pray the Lord's Prayer. Memorize it, but also expound on it. Pray it in your own words. The Lord's Prayer, it's an amazing structure to help the vine of prayer grow. Uh, this is my go-to. When I don't know what to pray, I pray the Lord's Prayer. I literally have it written out on an index card in my Bible. Uh, we call these prayer cards. Paul Miller came up with that phrase. It's like prayer cards, and we pray through these. And, and what I do with that is I'll take, the, I'll take the prayer, and I'll pray through it. When I don't know what to pray, I'll say, Our Father. And I expound. I say, God, thank you that you are my Father. Thank you that you've adopted me. And because of this adoption, you, you love me. You adopted me out of love. And you've given me an inheritance. I'm an heir. I have an identity of son, and it isn't going to go anywhere. Jesus, you say no one will snatch you out of the snatch, snatch. No one can snatch anyone out of your hand, Jesus. And I can't go anywhere. My identity is secure. He also says that, hallowed be your name. And I'll pray, God, thank you that you are glorious and you are unstained from this world. You are without sin. You are perfect without error. You are unlike me. And I'll just keep going. And, and the structure of the Lord's prayer breathes a real prayer in my heart. I think, it's, I think it's helpful to write out these things. I think it's helpful to do that. See, Jesus shows us in this prayer that, that biblical prayer is a cry for change in God's world and it's enjoying relational communion with God himself. Both elements are needed. We don't need to pit relationship and mission against each other. They're both absolutely integral to prayer. So what I want to do kind of this last bit of time here is I want to give us just some additional tools to help us pray, some additional practices that can help us pray. So taking just the first one would be taking a structure from Scripture. There's this thing called ACTS prayers, not ACTS as in the book, but ACTS as an acronym, uh, as a model to pray. And it goes adoration, A, Confession, C, thanksgiving, T, supplication, or praying for others, or the needs of others, or yourself, S. And what I think is so helpful about this is what this prayer looks like is you start with adoration. You start by praying, God, you are good, glorious, true, near. It's prayers of adoration. And then, like we do, that's kind of like our call to worship here on Sunday mornings. And then what that does is it turns into confession because we don't measure up. And we start realizing, oh my goodness, I fall woefully short of your holy, good, awesome reality. And so we start praying confession, praying how much we need God and praying uh, our sins, declaring them to God. And then confession leads us to thanksgiving because we're thankful that Jesus has already paid for our sins. He's already dealt with our needs and he will fulfill them in him. 
And then that leads us, as God has dealt with our needs and we're thankful for him, chiefly for his sacrifice on the cross and his glorious resurrection, we start praying for the needs of others because our needs have been met. And we start praying in faith for our continued needs to be met. This structure can be helpful to our continued prayer. And I'd encourage you, that's what I have. I wrote out the word Acts on an index card and put it in my Bible as a way to pray, to remind myself to pray through this ark. A lot of times we rush to supplication. We pray for needs. We pray for things that people tell us, which is really good. I, I said that earlier. But also we want to do the full ark of prayer. I would encourage you, write out scriptures on a, on a card. Write out names of people or places or sin struggles or areas you want to see growth in or brokenness in the world. Write these on prayer cards. It can be a really helpful way to pray. Another tool to pray is adopted from church history, and it's called breath prayers. And what breath prayers are is historically prayers you can say in a single breath. And for me, these have been some of the most heartfelt, real prayers I have prayed. They're prayers that say things like, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. And because we're in this kingdom of noise, we so quickly drift. Breath prayers keep our focus on what is in front of us. By repeating, Jesus, help me. I am needy. I am needy. Help me, Lord. You are good. You are better. Keep me from temptation. Lord, I need you. These type of breath prayers keep us in a posture of desperation and need and focus on our Father. And then a final way when talking about how to pray is lament. And this could have been, we could do a sermon series on lament. But what I want to say today, church, is we cannot be afraid to vent our unbelief to God. The Psalms are our guide. Nearly half of the Psalms are of lament. Another great practice, we pray through the Psalms. Laments are prayers of anger, of confusion, of sadness directed at God. They are prayers that acknowledge things are not the way they're supposed to be. Biblical lament is directed at God and it asks questions like, how long will this happen, Lord? How long will this last? Do you even see me? Do you care? How can you be good if this is happening? God, why do you allow the wicked to prosper? God, I've been praying about this. Why are you not acting? Why am I still struggling with this? What is going on? What are you doing? But lament always has the refrain. It might take us a minute. It might take us an hour. It might take us a day. It might take us a week. But lament has a turn. It has a refrain. Maybe with tears in our eyes, lament says, yet I trust you. Help my unbelief. Your ways are good. You see what I cannot see. Your ways are beyond my understanding. You have proven yourself faithful, and I can trust you in faith today. The refrain of lament ultimately prays with Jesus, who while sweating drops of blood, asks the Father, take the cup of crucifixion away if it's possible. Take this away. But the refrain is, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. This is the prayer of our lives. 
Sometimes we need to grow in just starting to pray, the Bible says. Sometimes we need to grow in praying rightly. Sometimes we need to grow in praying lament. And yet sometimes we, we don't even have the words to pray. And I want us to take comfort because Romans 8.26 says this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For when we do not know what to pray, for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. When you are at the end of yourself, you are not alone. When you have stopped praying, when you've lost words, there is one who is still speaking for you on your behalf, interceding for you, the Spirit of God who dwells in you and is for you. We sang about that reality a minute ago. Bring your real self to the Father. When we stop being real with God, we stop having real relationship with God. So in closing, church, God is after your heart, even if it's messy. Come in prayer like a child, dependent on your Father for your needs, your healing, your love, your identity, your security, and your hope. When we have this level of faith in our Father, we experience rich relationship with Him. True prayer, from praise to lament, fosters this good, dependent, trusting life in God. Prayer that's abiding in Christ, dependent on the Spirit, full of faith in the Father. This is where life is found. Amen? Let's pray. God, what I preached, I struggle so often to believe. Help my unbelief. Help our unbelief. Help us to come to you as a child. Help us to trust you, to depend on you. Lord, we are desperate for you. We need you. Spirit of God, thank you that when we don't know what to pray, you pray on our behalf. Lord, help us to remember that prayer is about intimacy with you. Help us to, to believe that you want relationship with us. Individually and as a people. Give us faith. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. God, you are so good to us. Thank you for the gift of prayer. I pray that we would be a praying people, a praying church, that we'd be praying families, and that this prayer would change our lives, it would change our city, it would change our world. For you use prayer to change things. Help us to believe that. Give us faith.